This is week three of our series, Relevant Faith, and I've been working on the next three to four, and I'm going to tell you, you don't want to miss a single one of these messages. This is not your typical uh, church messages. These, these are things that are practical, relevant ways to live your Christian life. As a matter of fact, God's been messing with me for, for the past month and a half about uh, this, this house in particular. And one of the things that he has been laying on my heart, and I've been sharing with our uh, leadership, and by the way, our leadership meeting, we were supposed to have it uh, this evening. Of course, uh, we had to postpone that because it's going to start getting nasty here after a while. Uh, but one of the things I've been sharing with our leadership is, is God has told me to start having not more than just church. For years and years, that's all we did. We just preached. We just preached and sang, and, and, and I, I call it the three S's. We socialized uh, sermons and singing. And that's what we did. We had three services a week, and I preached my guts out, and uh, we sang a lot, we prayed a lot, and we got to know it. And, and that's all fine and dandy, but what I have felt like is in this day and age, and probably the pandemic changed a lot of it, is we need to be more than just church. And we, we have to become family, we've got to become connected, we've got to become empowered. Uh, we can't just be uh, a place where we gather on Sundays and have an experience together and experience the same God in the same room, but we have to become more than just church. And that's why I've been talking about relevant faith. Now this morning, I'm going to get very dogmatic with you. I'm gonna, I, feel, I feel a teaching anointing for this sermon, Okay. I'm going to talk to you about the law of faith. The law of faith. For the past two weeks, you didn't know it, but I was giving you laws. The law of sowing and reaping. I've been talking about seed for the past two weeks. And those are, uh, those are irrevocable, distinguishable, undisputable laws of the spirit world. They govern your life. They are supernatural laws that work even if you wish they didn't work. Why would I wish they didn't work? Well, because the Bible says if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap a whirlwind. That's not always fun. So, so even when you wish that these laws did not operate, it doesn't change the fact that they do. Now, the word law today carries a pretty negative connotation. People don't like the idea of following rules they don't like the idea of being told what to do it's even a challenge in the in the church today to get Christians to walk in step with God's plans and primarily because we don't understand how kingdom works we have gotten so addicted to the world that we forget that this is not our home and the thing that we are doing day by day is not to make this world a better place and this life easier. The things that we are supposed to be doing today is setting up treasures up in another place. But the world has changed. And I'm not just talking about the world has changed since the pandemic, even though that accelerated it. But just 20 years ago, does anybody, you remember 9-11, right? So, so that was only 20 years ago. And sometimes you think, well, it wasn't that long ago. And you would be right, 
But then you start framing things in context and you realize that within those 20 years, the world has changed a lot. For instance, it was a few years ago, my wife and I were in New York City for her birthday. And we went to the 9-11 Museum. And it was about a three or a four hour tour that, that you go through this. And, and you see a lot of the things. And it's really sad. And, and, and when you get toward the end of this tour, there's a big room with all the names of the people who lost their lives. And if you remember, it was almost 3,000 people who lost their lives that day. And also, not just their names, but there are pictures of all of the people in that room. And we stood there looking at all of these, and something stuck out in my mind. And I look at my wife and I said, do you notice anything weird about these pictures? And she looked at me and she said, no, what? And I said, they don't look like pictures do today. Nobody is standing in a bathroom mirror. There were no duck lips. This was the age before cell phones and before selfies. There wasn't anything called a selfie 20 years ago. If you were talking about doing selfies, people would have thought you'd lost your mind. So th th this was the age where there were Polaroid pictures. Do you remember that? You remember taking a Polaroid and having to stand there and shake it to see how? Th there were Polaroid pictures. There were the old point-and-shoot cameras where you had to take the picture and then send it off and wonder what it was going to look like when you got it back. Remember that? So, so these pictures of all these people were Polaroids. Some of them were just candid shots from a point-and-shoot. And then there were these Olin Mills. You remember those? The, the very per particular posed portraits of a family. And it, was a, it would be a whole family, and only one of them had lost their lives. So, so it, it, it was very strange because the world has changed so much in just 20 years all of those pictures look weird because the world has changed a lot people's expectations have changed a lot because of the world changing uh, people's expectations have changed are you old enough to remember making phone calls and the person didn't have voicemail do you remember calling somebody's house and the phone would ring like six or seven times and then you would just hang up? And you didn't know, oh, and you couldn't go to Facebook and check to see if they, when the last time they logged on? Do you remember when somebody didn't have answering machines and you would call them and have to wonder where they were and what they were doing? I was a child going to school. I went to school the entire from kindergarten through 12th grade and never made a phone call home to my mother, never texted her and told her that I was okay, her baby boy ate lunch today. And my mother survived. Like she put me, I went and stood at the bus stop in the winter and caught the bus and then got off the bus and walked myself back to the house. And I'm still here. Whole. Do you remember when you would call somebody's house and, and you would leave them a message and have to wait for them to return your call? How about this? Do you remember getting phone calls and not having caller ID? Talk about living on the edge. I mean, we were just reckless, just picking up the phone without any idea who it was on the other end. And it was normal. Do you remember those days? 
Sometimes, sometimes you would leave somebody a message once the fancy answer machines came up, and you would leave a message, but it would be the next day before they called you back. Can you imagine? You get offended now if somebody don't text you back in 23 seconds. I mean, as soon as you send, send. If you don't see them three little dots coming up, that, that, they, that they are responding to you. Some of you are ready to deploy helicopters and all the police in the area to their house to make sure they're okay because they haven't responded to you. Do you remember writing letters like actual legitimate paper and a pen letter and licking an envelope and putting a stamp? Do you remember that? Do you remember sending letters to people and not knowing if they got it until they send another letter back because long distance costs too much. <laughs> Do you remember that? I mean, you had to wait weeks sometimes to get a response. You just sent letters willy-nilly out to the atmosphere, not knowing if they found their home. I can remember when I was a little kid, we used to watch TV uh, cartoons and stuff, and at the end of it, they would be advertising for like a magazine subscription or like some kind of a gadget that you would buy. Do you remember this? And at the end of it, it would always say the price and the shipping and handling, and it would say, please allow four to eight weeks for delivery. If my Amazon Prime ain't here in two days, I got attitude. <laughs> Four to eight weeks? Are you kidding me? I forget what I bought. My mom used to order stuff in the mail, write a check, put it in the mail, mail it off, and then the four to eight weeks started when they cashed the check. They held it for ten days. By the time it came, it was another holiday. The whole season was over. People's expectations have changed, and it's caused them to change their expectation of what church is like, of what God is like, because Christians have changed their expectations of how we're supposed to live these days. A lot of what we consider normal and the way God does things is now considered old-fashioned and out of style and out of touch. However, I'm going to show you this morning, God's still the same. And just because we have changed doesn't mean that God has changed. And His Word will never change. I'm, I'm, I came up under classical Pentecostalism. And us classical Pentecostals used to be known as faith people. But then, some of the faith people that were really famous and had big, huge television ministries got a little bit out there. And because they went a little bit off the rails, it caused most of us to become unfaith people because we didn't want to be affiliated with those people that were making this mockery of the Word of God. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about what the Bible says about faith. And then by the end of this message, draw it into a place where it's relevant for your life. Are you ready for this teaching? The first thing I want to define for you this morning is what is a law? If we're going to talk about the law of faith, what is a law? A law is a sequence of events in nature or in human activity that has been observed to occur with unvarying uniformity under the same conditions. That's a mouthful. But what it means is this. When it's a law, it does what it says it's going to do, and it works every time. In other words, if there is a law in nature, it will always work because the law says so. Hello. 
You just observe the law. That's called the law of gravity. The law of gravity says whatever goes up must come down. Now, there's another law. You can leave it. It, it, wasn't, that, it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't need it. Well, I ain't going to need it. Law of gravity says if it goes up, it must come down. There's also a, a law of aerodynamics. Law of aerodynamics says if you have lift and thrust, you will have flight. Which seems to defy the law of gravity. Because all of a sudden what went up is staying up. Until it's not. Because when they run out of fuel, or they all of a sudden don't have enough atmospheric pressure to hold themselves above gravity, the law of gravity will supersede the law of aerodynamics and it will come back down. I promise you. Whatever goes up will eventually come down because one law will always be superseded by a more powerful or equal law. I say all of that to describe to you what the law of faith does in your life. There are laws that will influence your life until you encounter another law that is equal to or more powerful than that law. And Romans 3 and 27 gives us the existence of one such law. Paul says in Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. Not by works. Not by works. But by the law of faith. So, here's the identity of a law that is greater than the law that is operating in your life. What law is operating in your life? Well, I'm, I'm going to show you here in a few moments that there's several of them. Some of you are here and you're operating under the law of sin. Some of you are operating under the law of curses. Some of you are operating under the law of death. Some of you are operating under uh, the law of uh, wrong thinking. All of these laws have to come in contact with a greater law, a more powerful law. Just like the law of aerodynamics comes in contact with the law of gravity and one overtakes the other, the law of faith will overtake everything that the devil has put into your life. So we know its identity. How do we operate in it? Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 says, and here's, I'm going to break this scripture down in a few moments. We're going to take it line by line, precept by precept. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. I'm going to read it again for emphasis, and then we're going to, in a moment, we're going to break it down. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, it might be just this preacher, but I've seen a whole lot of folks in this day and age with the advent of social media that in times of trouble, whether it's their own trouble or somebody else's trouble, they start posting things about God that don't add up when you look at the rest of their life. Hello? Oh, somebody having trouble and somebody will put underneath them, oh, don't, don't you know God will take care of that? And I want to look at them and say, says who? Hey, they'll post stuff like, oh, just trust the Lord to provide. Well, why? Wait, wait, hold on a minute. You haven't honored God with your whole life, but now you're going to call on Him and say He's going to provide for you? 
Just where do you get this arrogant right of demand to start putting things on God just because you say so? Oh, it's quiet in here this morning. I, I see people all the time saying, oh, you know God will make a way. You don't know that. Especially if the way you're trying to make ain't God's way, way for you to take. There's so many presumptuous people that think they are speaking on behalf of God these days. And I know it sounds, it sounds spiritual. And it sounds comforting for you to tell somebody, oh, just trust the Lord. Well, the Bible says if you're going to trust the Lord, there's one way to do it. With all. It doesn't say that you trust the Lord just because you're having a bad spell right now. It says if you're going to trust the Lord, you've got to trust the Lord with all your heart and all your might and all your strength. There is no halfway trusting with the Lord. The Bible says that if you're going to trust the Lord, you're all in. Now, the reason that I bring this to your attention is because God owes us nothing because he already gave us everything. Now, now when I say that, a lot of you will say, well, I, I, I have a lack here and I have a lack there. Doesn't mean that God hasn't provided for that lack already because he's not a genie in a bottle that is in the market to perform for you. He's not your emergency substitute when you get yourself in a mess. No matter where you are in your faith journey and no matter how positively you think about your future, you will never in your humanness be able to fathom everything that God can do in your life. Let, let me show you what I mean. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 says God's not a man and he can't lie. He's not a human and he can't change his mind. Has he ever spoken? And failed to act? The answer is no. Has he ever promised and not carried through? The answer to that is also no. So God's not a man. He can't lie. He can't say he's going to do something and not do it. Important for you to know because we're going to go back and break down now Mark 16 and 16. Look what it says. There are four keys to this scripture in Mark 16 and 16 that describes the law of faith. He said, he who, I'm going to read it again for you, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So I'm going to break down. There's four, four words or four phrases you need to grab hold of to understand the law of faith. Number one, he who believes. That word believes means to trust. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Or do you trust your paycheck? You trust your retirement? Do, do you trust the government? <laughs> do, do you trust the Lord? Because you, the second part of trust is not just putting your trust in Him, but it is applying the trust to you. Let me give you an example. Every person in this room right now, you are trusting the seat you're sitting on. I saw a lot of you come into this room and didn't one of you get down and un inspect that thing. Now, some of you are more trusting than others, but that's another sermon for another time. But you, you, you came in and you sat down, and when you got in your car, did you take all four car tires off, check the brakes? You trusted it. You didn't know whether they were working or not until you came to the first stop sign. But you trusted because the last time you applied the brakes, they worked. You, you, put, you are entrusting all sorts of things right now. 
And that's what it means to put your trust in the Lord. That even when you don't see it, you know He's working. So, so when, you, you, when you believe, when you trust. Now what do we trust in God? There's three things that we trust in God. Number one, we trust that God is in charge. Listen, He's God and I'm not. It's that simple. If you, if, you want to, if you want to know if you trust in the Lord, do you really believe that He can do what only He can do? And, and listen to me, that, that means that all things are under Him. Not just, not, not just the stuff that, that He has uh, promised in His Word, but every issue I face is under Him. And the Bible says Isaiah saw him, and he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In Isaiah's day, a king that had a big train meant he had big government. He, he, he was in everything. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he saw that train, and everything was up under his opulence. Everything was up under his auspices. There was nothing that was created that was outside of God's realm of decision-making ability. That means everything is under him. I'm, I'm talking to somebody's issue right now. That means that your marriage problem is up under him. That means that that kid that is wayward is up under him right now. That means that that sickness that you can't find an answer for at, at the doctor's office is up under him. And this ought to encourage somebody's faith this morning because the law of faith declares, I have to believe that God is in charge. The devil is not in charge. The government is not in charge. You are not in charge. But what I have put under God is entrusted in him. That means I can trust in him. The second thing is God can do it. Doesn't do me a bit of good to entrust God with something if I don't firmly believe that God is capable. There is a word that I throw around all the time in the church world, and, and it's omnipotence. Okay, so the first word dealt with sovereignty. God is God. He's in charge. That means he's sovereign. That means everything is up under him. This, it deals with God's omnipotence. That means he is all-powerful. And if you get confidence in your father... I can remember when I was a kid, and there was a couple of, of cousins that were much bigger and older than I was, and they were bullies in the neighborhood. And, and I can remember, I can remember how uh, th that there was a, a, an older brother of mine that was bigger and stronger and meaner than both of them bullies. And when he found out that they was chasing me home, throwing rocks at me from the uh, bus stop every day, see, Mama didn't have no cell phone, and I was getting chased with rocks, and and. Uh, <laughs> And when he found out that them boys was chasing me home from, from school, he was a juvenile delinquent anyway, didn't go to school most of the time. So he, he hid in the bushes. And the next time them two decided to jump me off the bus, he told me, don't run. I'll be there. Don't you know I stepped off the school bus that next time like the cock of the walk? I stepped off that school bus and shocked them boys because they thought for sure I'd hit the, because every time I hit the ground, I hit it running because I didn't know if they was going to chase me that day or if they was tired. But that day, I didn't run. Kind of surprised them. They were like, you ain't going to run? No, I ain't got no reason to run because there's somebody in this vicinity that's got my back. And I don't have to run from a bully if I know that there's a bigger bully hiding in the bushes. 
And, and some of y'all haven't figured out that God is a bigger bully than the one that's been pushing you around yet. And that's why you go around with a hound dog look on your face and you look like you were baptized upside down in pickle juice because you have not yet figured out that your God is not only there, but he is able to do exceedingly abundantly. I mean, there is nothing that the devil can do to you that God can't take care of. So God can do it. And the third thing that you need to have uh, belief in is the power of his word. We spend so much time. One of the sermons in this series is going to be about time and wasted time. Wow, I've been, I've been, I've been convicted just dealing with this, service, uh, this servant. We spend so much time infusing the wrong things into us. And so little time getting the word into us. The word that is the promise. The word that has life. The word that promised us victory. The word that, listen, this, this book doesn't just contain his word. It is a living, breathing element that the more you get into you, the less room there is for lies and deception and for the enemy to be able to convince you that you are, that you are the tail and not the head because you'll come back to him and say, oh, no, no, no. I read the book and I know that I'm the head. I know I'm more than an overcomer. I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the word. I don't know need for the promises of this world to find a place in me because I got his promise inside of me. So it says, he who believes shall be saved. Now the most basic definition of saved in, in the Old Testament and the New is to mend. Sometimes you don't catch my hillbilly vernacular. To mend, like setting a broken bone. That's what that word saved means. It says, whoever believes shall be saved. You know what, you know what setting a broken bone is? That, that means something was dislocated, disjointed, fractured, and now it's been put back together. That's what that word saved means. See, God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, but sin fractured that relationship, disjointed it. Jesus comes along and offers his life for the penalty of sin, and he put that back together. So it says that you will be saved. And, and, and I'm trusting that everybody in this room either is or will be before you leave this room. But I want to break that down into three segments. Are you with me? Is this helping anybody? Because I, I, I know I'm not preaching, I'm teaching this morning. Isaiah 53 and 5 is a scripture that you quote all the time, but I don't think most of you have ever caught the significance of it. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. This deals with three separate spiritual and physical situations that Jesus' sacrifice helped you with. This is the law of faith. The law of faith says that primarily this deals with the spiritual aspect of humanity. 
Your spirit was dead due to sin. Your relationship with God, your fellowship with God was broken. But because of Jesus, His shed blood, what Jesus did was He grabbed the hand of God and He grabbed the hand of man and He put them back together. What Adam and Eve had in the garden, you and I can now have because of Jesus. But there's more to it. And if you don't get this, you will walk around saved but miserable. Saved but bound. You'll walk around and you're going to heaven when you die, but you hate living while you're here. And I'm going to, listen, I'm going to put some conviction on you. I know the crowd is low this morning, and, and, and you're kind of nervous because you think that I'm looking at you. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to one beside of you. But I, I want you to know that, that there's more to this life than most of you are living. God does not want you to just have joy everlasting when you get through the pearly gates. He has intended for you to have life and have it more abundantly that's right so the reason I, I bring this verse to your attention is because there's more to being saved than just getting to heaven because first of all it says he was pierced for our rebellion that dealt with your sin you were a rebel against God and because of Jesus he was pierced for your rebellion crushed for your sins but look what else it says he was beaten so I could be whole. I ain't going to talk about you because maybe you're perfect. So let me just testify. He was beaten so I could be whole. He was beaten. The, the King James puts it like this. The chastisement of my peace. So if the first thing that he did dealt with my lost spirit... This deals the chastisement of my peace. This is a mental and emotional healing. So when Jesus was beaten, he was not only saving me when I die, but he was he wasn't just washing away my sins. He was if I give him all my trust and believe in him, He's also making my mind right. He's healing my emotions. He is giving me an overcoming spirit. See, see, God doesn't just want his children, well, we're just weary pilgrims and we're just making it the best we can. That's not living. And God, listen, that's not even a good witness. I, I, I wish I could go back and talk to some of the old saints when I was coming up in church because that was every testimony in the church. And by, by the time four of them gave a testimony, I felt beat up. I felt discouraged. I felt depressed. And can I tell you that the joy of the Lord is your strength? And that's why the enemy's constantly trying to get you to talk about, oh, woe is me. If life gets any worse, I just don't think I'm going to make it. That is not what God came to do. Jesus didn't die so you could live miserably. He died so that you can have an overcoming mentality that what we have would be contagious to those who don't know him. But why would they want what we have if what we have makes us so miserable? So that when he, when he healed us, when he healed us, he didn't just heal our spirit. He also healed our emotions. 
We should be happy. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. See, I battle this because I have a resting Grinch face, my wife says. I always look angry, whether I am or not. Sometimes I am. Most of the time I'm not. I just always look angry. But I want people to know I'm saved. So I have to try to be an encouragement. I have to try when I walk into a room to let people know that the joy of the Lord is inside of me because it doesn't always just radiate from my face. I wish I was Sarah. I wish I had her smile. Man, she just illuminates the whole room when she walks in. I wish I had that. I don't have that. I fight just to make it big. When I walk into the room, most people say, Ooh, what's wrong with him? And I don't want that. That's not the testimony I want. So, Because I know Jesus came not just to set my spirit free, but he also came to heal my emotions. And hear me, I'm not diminishing what you went through. Your pain was real. What you have went through and the battles you have faced, they have sucked the life out of you. They have hurt you. They have wounded you. But don't you think that the same blood that is going to take you to heaven when you die is powerful enough to help you think with the mind of Christ and get past your wounds? And last but not least, he heals our spirit, he heals our emotions, and finally he deals with the physical aspect of our humanity. Because your Bible says that the whole creation is groaning for these corruptible bodies to put on incorruption. That means that I don't have to wait to heaven for me to get better. Healing is available. Now later in this series, I will talk about some of the things we ask God for. We don't always get what we ask for. But we just keep asking anyway. Listen, I'm not going to quit praying for you until you have drawn your last breath. And I'm going to keep believing. Why? Because the Bible says that he was wounded for my transgressions and he was whipped so I could be healed. And if you don't believe that, then that's probably why you walk around with a pain here and here a pain, there a pain, everywhere a pain, pain. But healing is available for all of us. And the law of faith says that whatever is broken, whatever is broken, mind, body, and spirit, that's what he died for. So if you're sitting here this morning and there's any part of your life that is broken, Jesus already paid the penalty for it. He already died for it. You don't have to suffer with it anymore. Give it to Jesus. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that? So, having, in, having that in your mind, let me teach you this, because the second half of this verse says, if you believe, you'll be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Now, now, if we only take that on surface level, we're only going to think about being condemned in the Spirit. But let's talk about this. Does not believe. Let's break that, that phrase down. He who does not believe. He who does not believe. Now, I did a word search so you didn't have to. That phrase isn't implying people who have never heard. That phrase is, apply, is, is referring to people who have heard the truth but rejected the truth. In other words, I know the speed limit sign says 5-5, five, five, but I'm late and 70 looks a whole lot better until until I didn't have time to slow down but now I'm going to have time to get pulled over 
Have you ever noticed how you never have time to do it right the first time, but there's always time to go back and redo it? Yeah, same way with driving. See, I didn't have time to slow down to 55 because I'm busy and I got places to go and I took too long. I, I hit that snooze 17 times. And I was just over and over and over and it took me longer to do this and longer to do that. And it's always somebody else's fault. It ain't never my fault I'm late. It's always somebody else's fault. And, and, and I got behind this slow poke and this idiot. And you're giving them a, a, a one finger salute and telling them how great they are. Forgetting you're a Christian all the way to work. You walk, into, you walk into work speaking in tongues to make up for all the stuff you said with your tongue on the way. Y'all not going to help me. And here, here, the blue lights are in our rearview mirror. And we suddenly have time to stop and slow down. Because condemnation has found us. You knew better. And you did it anyway. And now, you're going to get condemned. Now, that word condemned means that the sentence has been passed and the outcome has been determined. So, let's, let's use these three elements, mind, body, spirit. Let's use these three elements and talk about being condemned. If I refuse to believe the truth of Jesus' message, of his message of reconciliation... I'm going to continue to live in a broken relationship with God, and I'm going to be eternally lost. You know what that means. That's what condemned means spiritually. I'm not going to make it to heaven when this life is over. But it's equally true, Christian, believer. It's equally true that if I refuse the truth that hit my chastisement of my peace was on him, if I don't believe that... If I don't apply that law to my existence, I'm going to walk through this life miserable and living in fear and having critical spirit and having a mind of the flesh and being carnal in my reactions and my decision making is not going to be Christ-like. Why? Not because I'm not saved. My spirit can be on its way to heaven, but my attitude can sound like hell. Because if I reject, listen, if I reject the message that my peace is on him, then my attitude will be condemned. And finally, if I refuse to believe that his stripes heals me, then I'm going to walk through this life hurting and in pain and sicker than I need to be and, and not fulfilling everything that I could fulfill because I skipped Psalm 107 that says he sent his word and healed them. Not he's going to heal them, not he can heal them, not he's capable of healing them, but he sent his word. And if I don't hide that word in my heart, receive this law of faith, then I'm going to walk through life and I'm going to always be below what God could have done in my life. And I don't know about anybody else, but I am good and ready to start living above what God has for me, not below. I have lived enough of my Christian life not coming up to his standard. And maybe you're perfect, so pray for Bishop, because I have for a long stretch of my ministry and a long stretch of my Christian life lived below the standard that God has for me. He could do so much more in my life, but I haven't accepted the truth of his word. For instance, for years and years and years, the devil has convinced the church that it's okay for the drug dealers to have nice cars. 
It's okay for the world to have nice houses, but somehow we are more holy when we are broke and barely getting by. Can I tell you that doesn't sound like a very good plan? Hey, it doesn't sound like a very good plan because in four weeks we're going to take them to offering for the uh, parking lot, and if you live in hand-to-mouth every single paycheck, you can't, you can't be a blessing. So does it sound like a good plan for you that God's people always have to be broke? So, so we have to depend on the world to finance God's kingdom? That doesn't make any sense to me. But for the, for the longest time when I was coming up in church, holiness people thought it was holy to be poor. And then I got into the Bible and found out it doesn't say that anywhere. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. But it doesn't say a thing about money being evil. And by the way, if you think your money is evil, I will take it. I'll exercise those demons out of it and use it for the kingdom's glory. If you, I'll even take a check written out to $666. I ain't scared of it at all. <laughs> Does not sound like to me a very good plan that God's got to depend on the world to finance his kingdom because his people have to be broke all the time. But somehow we got this mentality and we're not walking by faith. We walk by the systems of this world. So I've, I've said all of that to say this. The devil will fight this law more than anything else in your life. You think he's, I hear people say the craziest stuff. And those of you that's been with me for a long time, you know this is one of my pet peeves. People say, oh, the devil's after my job. And when I was a young Christian, I'd be like, Lord, we're going to pray about that. And then I realized, what do you think a devil wants your job for? Like, when you say crazy stuff like that, eventually somebody crazy like me is going to say, devil don't want your job. You think he's trying to get you fired so he can go down and drive the forklift eight hours a day? That don't make any sense. The devil's not after your job. The devil's not after your house. He's not after your car. I hear people say all the time, oh, the devil's messing up my car. The de no, get the oil changed. Take care of it a little bit. Get, but go out and buy some, some tires. Well, the devil flattened my tires. No, you can see your reflection in those things. At some point, you have to put new ones on it. It's not the devil's fault. You got 752,000 miles on them four sets of retreads. Get some new tires. The devil don't want your car. He don't want your marriage. You think you don't want to be married to him. What do you think the devil wants him for? The devil don't want your marriage. He's not after those things. He just knows that he can use those things to get to your faith. See, it's all about your faith. And he knows that if he can hurt those things, if you are more attached to those things than you are to the blesser who gave them to you, then at that point, he can start attacking your faith and bring your faith down because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's what it's about. It's always been about an attack on your faith. So watch how the devil fights this law. Are you ready? When people, in, the, in, the, in Jesus' day, when people doubted Jesus' ministry, Jesus didn't do like the church did. It does, and say, oh, well, I guess they just don't want us here. When people doubted Jesus, it stimulated him. Oh, he'd say, oh, you don't believe I can heal on the Sabbath? Watch this. 
And he, he would do exactly what they said. They would say, well, only, only the devil would do this. And he'd say, well, I, I ain't the devil, and watch me do it. So Mark chapter 6, verse 6. The Bible says that Jesus went to Nazareth, tried to heal some people, but because they would not receive him, they did not believe, they had unbelief, he only healed a few sick folk. He couldn't do any miracles. The Bible clearly says Jesus did no great works there because of their unbelief. And then it says in verse 6, he was amazed. <laughs> Some of us just shocking Jesus with our stupidity. <laughs> See, there for a minute you thought I was complimenting you. You was like, oh yeah, I amazed Jesus. Yeah, some of us amazed Jesus by our hard-headedness. He was amazed at their unbelief. And what did he do? Remember I told you, when people didn't believe in Jesus, it stimulated his ministry. It made him do more when people did So, so his, their unbelief shut down miracles. So how did Jesus respond? Look right here on the wall. Did he strike up the praise team? No. Did, did he put up a tent and get Benny Hinn to come in and have a healing crusade? No. He taught. You know why he taught? Because teaching destroys unbelief. I love to shout. You know I love to shout. I love to shout with the best of them. But sometimes I just got to teach this word into you. Because some of you will shout and still not learn nothing. Some of you will shout, fall out on the floor, do Jericho marches, leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling, but you'll leave and come in the same way. And that's not being taught. Teaching will destroy the unbelieving spirit that's inside of you. When I teach this word and this word gets inside of you, when somebody teaches this word, you will leave with your head up. And whether you shouted, you may not have lifted your hand, you may not even have clapped your hands, but you'll leave with your head up when you came in looking like you was defeated. You'll leave in victory because teaching the word of God will give you victory over unbelief. By the way, other people's unbelief will try to talk you out of what the Holy Spirit's trying to talk you into. It is not normal for you to live constantly in crisis. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you that sometimes you don't have bad times. But there should be, according to the law of faith, according to Isaiah 53 and 5, there should be a deliverance for the children of God. It is a law. I thought I might get an amen right there. You should be delivered. Your attitude should have been delivered. Your addiction should be delivered. Your small-mindedness should be delivered. Your prejudices should be delivered. Your bigotries should be delivered. Your body should be delivered. And if not... If not, something is blocking the process. So let me help you. If you are not living a blessed life right now, check yourself. Do what David did and say, Lord, search me. See if there be any wicked ways in me. If there's nothing discernible inside of you, if it's not your motivations, if it's not your attitude, if it's not hidden sin, if it's not something inside of you that's clogging up the process, check who you are attached to. Oh my God, I could preach right there for a minute. 
Check to see what you are hungry and thirsty for. When you wake up in the morning, are you hungry for His Word? When you go to bed at night, are you hungry to get into His presence and pray the glory down to protect you? Or are you hungry and thirsty for stuff in the world and then wonder why God's not showing up and manifesting His brilliance into you? Keep reading Mark chapter 6. You'll come to verse 7. And it says, and he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. Church, it's 2022. We're about to wrap this thing up at some point. I have to believe that this is the generation that's going to see the coming of Jesus Christ to claim the bride back to himself. What are we doing here? We were left here. To help spread the good news. And to help take as many people home as we can. But watch this. Look what Mark 6 and 7 says. He called the twelve to himself. And sent them out two by two. And gave them power over unclean spirits. He gave them power over unclean spirits. He gave them power... Over unclean spirits. And it's 2022. Some of you have been sitting in pews since the year 19-something-another. And you keep coming back to the Lord trying to get right yourself. Trying to get healed. Trying to be an overcomer. But we are the ones that are supposed to be laying hands on other folks. We're the ones supposed to have power over unclean spirits. We can't get the message into them because we haven't got it into us yet. Uh, Pastor got mean at the end of the... See, we can't minister to other people because we keep needing ministry ourselves. We haven't become overcomers yet. We haven't learned this law of faith yet. We haven't learned what 1 John chapter 5, 14 to 15 says. Now... This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, we get it. He hears us. And if He hears us, we know that whatever we ask, we will have the petitions that we have asked of Him. See, when I have confidence in the law of faith, I pray according to God's will. And when I pray according to His will, I don't have to wonder if it's going to happen because my guarantee is I've been heard and He's going to answer. You know what the Bible says about your faith? Y'all been with me long enough? Hebrews 11 and, five, uh, 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hope for and the evidence of things not seen. Evidence of things that you can't see. First Corinthians Two and nine says that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man, or you, neither can you wrap your mind around all the things.
that God has. Mm -mm. No, can't say that. It can't say that. It can't say that God has prepared it already. It, no, it, can't, it can't say that because that means that he's, he's not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands wondering what he's going to do. Because if this is true, I has not seen nor ear heard what God has already prepared for those who love him. That, that would mean that it's not God's fault I don't have it. That would mean that I am blind and deaf to what he's already done. That would mean that he already has prepared for us everything we need. But, but you, you can't. You can't see it. And what so many of us forget is that right now, there's two realities. There's the reality that you see. And there's the hidden reality that you can't see. Colossians 1.16. It teaches us that God created everything in the heavenly realms, but also on earth. And he made things that we can see, and then he made stuff that you, he hid. You, it's there. It, it's real. But you can't. It's, it's there. He created it. He's already prepared. I have not seen. You're deaf and, and blind to it. But that doesn't mean it's not right here. See, you can only see what's on this side. But there's a reality behind the veil of flesh that you can't see. But that doesn't mean it's not real. And that doesn't mean it's not right here as close to you as what you can see. The reality is, there's good stuff that God's prepared for you because the book of James says that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Oh, He's got some good stuff. He, whew, you can't see it, but it's good. I mean, there's your miracle under there. There, there, there's your healing right there. It, you can't see it, but it's, it's, it's hidden from you, but your blessing, your breakthrough. You, it's right here. You can't see it. That prodigal son or daughter, it's right. You can't see what God is doing in their life, what God is doing in their heart, but that doesn't mean that it's not right there it, behind the veil because I have not seen. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not right here. So everything you need has already been provided even though you can't see it. And our problem is not that God didn't show up. Our problem is that we neglect basic spiritual truth. Jesus, teach us to pray. Okay. Our Father who art in heaven... 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's in hidden places with my miracle. He's in hidden places with my healing. He's in hidden places with my breakthrough. And I'm here on earth. And all I see and all I hear is, I'm sorry, you don't have a right credit rating. All I see is the x-ray that the oncologist says, see that mass right there? That's all I see and all I hear because the good stuff is hidden. The good stuff is behind the veil, and, and it's not revealed because all I can see is what I'm here on earth. He's in heaven. He's in glory. I'm down here, and all I see is them packing their bags saying, I'm leaving and never coming back. All I see is the bank saying, this is due, it's past due, and we're foreclosed. All I see is the, is the bad news and the virus of this and this, and, and that's I'm here. I'm stuck right here, and all the good stuff I need is up there, and that is a cruel master if he does not give me access to what he has but the Bible taught us that if we would pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's not that God hasn't provided it and it's not that God has it locked up and doesn't give you the key to it the key is you believing that even if I can't see it he's working even if I can't feel it he's working even if I don't know what he's doing he is on top of my situation I'm calling things that are not as though they already are it's not that God hasn't provided it it's right there and he told us call it forth and if the earth is looking like hell more than it's looking like heaven it ain't the devil's or God's fault it's because we're not calling anything down you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years and you ain't never called nothing down Churches have the same pastor for 50 years and they ain't never, they ain't never had a miracle. They've never had anybody healed. Not one prophetic action taking place. They've not pulled anything out of glory down to earth. What are we doing? He gave us the key to every hidden thing. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to close with this. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elisha. And God got him in trouble. Because God's good for doing that to preachers. And he was letting Elisha know all the secrets of the, all the kings that was trying to attack Israel. And he would know exactly where they were going to attack. And he would go and tell the army. And the army would be waiting on him. So the king decided he was going to kill Elisha. And they surrounded Elisha and his servant in this valley. And all these horses and chariots and soldiers. And the servant got up one morning and flipped open the tent flap and looked around and said, Uh-oh, we are surrounded. That will make you question your... Uh, you're who you're keeping company with because they wasn't after him they were after Elisha he could have switched teams real quick his loyalty was tested he went back in the tent and he said hey uh, master there's all kinds of soldiers outside looking to kill you 
He said, don't worry about it. Fear not. I don't think you heard me. There's soldiers all around us wanting to kill you. And because I'm on Team Elisha, probably me too. Fear not. Because who's with us is more than... And then he does something that I'm about to do for you. He prayed, Lord, let them see. And the Bible says that the servant was able to see that surrounding the army that was surrounding them was a fiery, heavenly troop that outnumbered the ones that was against them. And they were finally able to see into the Spirit and realize that greater is He that is with me than he that is with the world. And the fact that they were standing there in the presence of a heavenly troop gave him confidence, but he did not have it until he could see it. And church, I came here this morning on a mission because some of you need to see healing come to your marriage. Some of you need to see healing come to your family. Some of you need to see healing coming into your body. Some of you need to see healing coming to your finances. Some of you need to see healing over this fear that you've got of this virus or whatever it is that you're afraid of. Some of you need to see it. So I'm praying right now and if you would uh, jump to your feet and just put your hands. If this is for you, put your hands over your eyes and God right now let them see the salvation of the Lord. God let them see that their prodigals and sons and daughters are coming back. Let them see that there's healing in the blood of Jesus. Let them see that they are more than an overcomer. God right now in the name of your son Jesus allow them to see what you already know that greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world we have more on our side than that's against us there is no overcomer except for Jesus and him alone he is the alpha the omega the beginning and the end he is our redeemer and our triumph giver in the name of Jesus let them see who you are let them see the power of the Holy Ghost. Do you see it? Do you see it? Don't quit praying until you see it. Don't give up. That's your problem now. You keep giving up. Every time it gets heavy, every time the spirit starts falling, every time you don't like to get and you get uncomfortable, you you give up. No, no, no. It's not time to give up. The reason you're in the shape you're in now is because you keep giving up. Pray until you see it. Worship until you see it. Give God praise until you see it. I see myself being healed. I see myself with great mental health. I see myself coming out of depression. I see myself overcoming anxiety. I see my marriage being healthy. I see it, God. I see it. Thank you for allowing me to see what you already showed me. I see it. Hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Uh-huh. I raise a hallelujah. Where at? With everything inside of me. I see it. I see it, Lord. 